Amen. Good morning. You sitting down too quick. How many is thankful just to be in the house of the Lord today? To be alive, to be well, have another day, to glorify the name of Jesus. Amen. Today I want to uh, talk to you about, we're just entitling this, Responding to God. Wasn't last Sunday awesome? I think that's what we did last Sunday, didn't we? We responded to God. There were so many things. How many were here last Sunday? Just, yeah. So many wonderful things. Our precious, hey sister. Would you wave and so they can just see you? Remember, if you were here, if you weren't here last Sunday, this won't make any sense, so forgive me. But if you were here, you know, we were talking about a service that just a supernatural, prophetic, I guess that's how we would term it, service that we had here several years ago, how God moved so mildly. And then our precious sister stood up over here, hey darling. And uh, it was like we were getting to live it again. And uh, after the service, tell me your name, darling, I forget. Arabella, and uh, this precious, her and her husband, they came up to me, and remember the service years ago, I said I went to this side, and there was, the Lord had put on my heart, there was a couple there that was, you know, struggling about where to go to church, is this their church, is this it, and that was years ago. They came up after the service last Sunday and told me that that was in the very position that they were in, and they were sitting right there, and uh, she's from, they're from the country of Panama. And moved to Valdosta, I guess, last January, this past January, a year ago. And, and, uh, and, and God settled that in her heart last Sunday. And she said, Grace Point is our church. And God spoke to her sitting right over there. Amen. Is that right? Amen. Amen. And it was just so many wonderful things like that that, uh, that, are, that God's doing that you don't, we don't even see and realize that's going on. Uh, it was just awesome. Last Sunday, uh, I, I'm looking around to see if he's here today. I, I didn't even know my youngest uh, son was was in the service. Had no idea. And uh, and when I got to the end of the service, I was of course going to dismiss the service, close it out, and was just about to do so. And I, when I looked down, I, it's hard to explain these things, but God just drew me to the very back of the sanctuary to a to a red cap, a person had their head bowed, looking at the floor, and I just saw a red hat. And you probably saw me kind of just stall out up here last Sunday for a moment. And uh, I just don't ever want to leave and not, you know, fully obey the Lord. And and, uh, and so I just knew I was supposed to pray for that person. And uh, that person happened to be my son, and I didn't even know it. I surely wouldn't have said to my son, the guy in the red hat, I would have said, you know, Austin, come up here. And he told me after service, he said, Dad, you know, somebody else had mentioned to him about coming and wanted him to come. and They wanted to come, you know, hear me preach and, and they wanted him to, to come also. And he's really been going through a, a battle lately. And he just said, God, I'm going to go, but if I'm going to go, I'm going to do what I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to do. I'm going to put an ultimatum on you I'm gonna I'm gonna say if I'm gonna go I want you to do something to let me know that you're there 
and the whole service had, had gone on and nothing had happened. And right at the end, I said, the guy in the red hat, I want, I want you to, I, I want to pray for you. And once he stood up, then I thought it might be my son, but I wasn't sure. And I watched him turn around and look to the back. And, he, and after service, he said, Daddy, I was looking to make sure I wasn't stepping in front of somebody with a red cap on. And once he stepped out in the aisle, I knew that well, I could tell where he walked. That was my son. And of course, it broke my heart, as you saw. But God, God, God did it. God did it. When I'm talking about responding to God, most Christians live their life trying to get God to do something. They try to get God to respond to them, to their faith. And, and that's really totally 180 from what we should live our life. And, and I want to tell, say to you, and I don't mean this from an arrogant point, but just a learning point, that, that that's, that's not the way the Bible teaches us to live. Uh, your faith is a response to God. It, it's not you trying to get God to respond to your faith. You understand? It's a huge difference. But, when, when, but our faith is us simply responding to the goodness and the grace of God. In other words, our faith is responding to everything that God has already provided for in Christ Jesus. And so 2 Peter 2, uh, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4 says this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given us or given to us all things. King James says everything. Given us to all things that pertain to what? To life so anything that you got going on that, that pertains to life, God's already provided it for you through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. God has already given us, and in a moment I'll read you another scripture. God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's in Ephesians. God's already done it. You already have it. And I've talked about that some here. But I want to say something to you. God anticipated, and, and this is the nature of God. This is how God is, and God's consistent in this. God's not like this one day, and then he changes, and he's like something else another day. God's had, God has always been exactly like this from the beginning. God anticipated every need that we would have and has provided that need already for you through Christ Jesus. Now, you've got to think about that. Every need, both physical, spiritual, material, natural, whatever, God has already anticipated every need. There's nothing that you've ever done that shocked God, surprised God, and God has never had a plan B in his life. It would be like you and I watching a, a sports a game, an NFL game or something, and we've already totally recorded it. We watched it. We know what the score is. We know who did what when they did it. And then we're watching it a second time and like we're shocked by it. No, we've already seen the, the beginning and the ending. That's what God has done. God has already seen 
the beginning of your life and the ending of your life. God's seen it all. There's nothing that you, God was, did not place Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and then turn around and go, my God, what are they doing? And, and have to come up with a, with a plan. God already provided everything that they would ever need. And that's the nature of God. And when you understand that, you approach God from a different perspective, a different point. Okay? And so that's what I want to talk to you about. You can be seated. Thank you. You say, well, what about if I screw up, you know? If I rebel against God's will for my life? Can I say to you, listen, God already factored in your rebellion. God already anticipated and knew what you would do when you would do it. And we see that proven in the Bible. What about Jonah? Anybody ever heard of that guy? Jonah, right? And, and, and so Jonah rebelled against God, didn't he? God told him, he said, go to Nineveh, preach the gospel. And, and, and Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. It's my life. I'm going to do what I bloody well please, and I'm not going to Nineveh. And he went down to Joppa. Okay, he went in the very opposite direction that God wanted him and willed him to go. But God had factored in before Jonah was born his rebellion. Now, I'm not encouraging you to rebel. I'm just saying that God's already got it all figured out. He's smarter than you are. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, just one little verse I want to read. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord didn't have to prepare a fish after Jonah rebelled. He had already prepared the fish. He already had that fish born, already had that fish swimming, already had that fish grown and ready to go, waiting on that rebellion of that preacher named Jonah. You see that? God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Everybody say swallow. This ain't Jaws coming to pay him back. Are you with me? This is not a fish to eat Jonah. This is not a fish to punish Jonah. This is a fish to save his life. This is a fish designed. What would happen? The sailors threw Jonah over in the middle of a, in the ocean in the middle of a storm. What would happen to Jonah if God didn't do something here? He's done for. It's over with. But God had already factored in his rebellion, and God had already prepared a fish to swallow him, not to eat him, but to swallow him and transport him very, to the very place that God wanted him to be. Where did the fish drop him off at? At Nineveh, where God wanted him to be in the first place. God's already factored in all your mess. My stuff, your stuff, God already factored that in. And in spite of our rebellion and in spite of us walking in the very opposite direction that God intended you to walk in, now, you, you would have had it better if you would have just got in a nice boat and, and rode to Nineveh. You would not have arrived with whale vomit or whatever the fish was all over you. Your hair would have looked better if you'd have done it God's way. How many knows your checkbook would look better if you'd have done it God's way? Your health and your body would have looked better if you'd have done it God's way. Your marriage would have looked better if you'd have done it God's way. 
All that stuff, yeah, there's factors in there and consequences of decisions, but God still has prepared not to eat you up, pay you back, none of that, but to, to, to swallow you and say, son, you, you ain't capable, but I'll drive you there. Unusual taxi, right? But God had already prepared. God has anticipated every, every move you would make, every decision you've ever made, every, every wrong turn you've ever made. God has a way to get back to what he's told you to do. Do you see that? And, and that's the nature of God. The, the nature of God is to provide what he knew you would need before you even knew you would need it. Do you see that? He, he, he's already provided everything. He, he did that in, in the very beginning in Genesis. He, 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 he built paradise. He built the Garden of Eden. He had everything that Adam and Eve would ever need waiting on them before he placed man and woman inside that garden. Do you see that? They didn't get in there and go, wait a minute, God, I need to. They didn't pray and ask God for anything because they didn't need anything because God had already previously provided everything they would ever need. Can you say amen to that? And, and so uh, God's done the same for us. And if you read this Bible, all through the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, you'll see it, you know, acted out, if you will. You'll see it manifested. In other words, remember the story about God telling uh, Abraham or Abram to go up and on Mount Moriah and offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. So he goes up on Mount Moriah. As far as he knew, that's, that he's going to do exactly what God said. He's going to offer his son. And, and he did that in faith, believing that even if that happened, that God was able to raise him from the dead. Are, are you with me? But, but what had God done before they ever got there? He had a ram caught in the thicket. And that ram was already there, and the sacrifice was waiting. Remember, Isaac said, I see the wood, I see the fire, Dad, I see the knife, but where is the sacrifice? He said, don't worry, son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. What God asks for, God has provided. Whatever God asks you for, he's already given you. He's already provided. And so there was a ram uh, caught in the thicket. What about Joseph? He, he strategically had Joseph in Egypt before the famine ever hit. And they had a, they had a famine that was worldwide. But in that, if Joseph had not have been there, his family and particularly the Hebrew people would have died from famine because they didn't live in Egypt. But God strategically placed Joseph in Egypt. Joseph became the prince of Egypt. He had, a, he had a weird way of getting there through the prison system. I don't have time to preach that. But he, he was promoted from the prison to the palace in one day. He was strategically placed there. God gave him the interpretation of Joseph's dream, uh, Pharaoh's dream. Uh, Pharaoh made Joseph the prince of Egypt, put him in charge of all the food supplies. Is that right? And Joseph was able to distribute the food and call for his Hebrew people to come to Egypt and God spared their lives because he had already prepared some means of providing for them before the famine ever hit. God's all, he's always done that. What about Esther? God had Esther in the palace, in there, in the palace, before Haman ever came up with the plot to annihilate the whole Jewish nation, the Jewish people. Before, that ever, before the plot ever came, before Haman ever revealed the plot, Esther was sitting in the palace, strategically, strategically positioned by God, 
waiting there, God had provided a means to save the nation of Israel, the Hebrews. Can you say amen? So he's, he's always done that. He's, he's always been that way. Let, let, let me tell you the real big one. Listen to me. Before there was an earth, I said before there was an earth, before there was an Adam or an Eve, before any of that, before, there, before sin ever entered in, God had provided himself a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's what it says in the Bible. That Jesus Christ was the lamb of God slain before the foundation. God didn't wait to man sin and come up with a plan B and say, now i got to do something to try to deal with this. Before there was even a human created, before there was an earth or an Adam or Eve or any of that stuff, God had already had Jesus slain as the lamb of God before the foundation of the world. And you've got to see that that's the nature of God. That's how God is. That, that's who God is. So that, what was that? It boils right down to you. God has already provided everything that you would ever need. Where does he provide? I don't see it. You, you're looking in the wrong place. It's in, it's in Christ. Where, where are you? John was just admonishing you. You're in Christ. God has placed you in Christ. Why? Because that's where all your needs being met are. It, he's, placed it, he's placed it in Christ. Many, many Christians believe that God can, God can do anything, but they don't believe he's done very much. They believe, he, oh, yes, God's able. God's able. God's more than able. See, they, they live in a constant state of trying to get God to do something for them, trying to get God to answer their prayer, trying to get God to move on their behalf. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, who has blessed us with how many? All spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing, where, where at though? In the heavenly places, where? In Christ. This says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You can't think of one that he hadn't already blessed you with. Meaning... If, listen, if he's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing, how many is blessings left to bless you with? None. This is not hard, y'all. Simple math here. If he's already given you every spiritual blessing, how many blessings do you have to ask him for? None. It's already done. You, you already have all the spiritual blessings that you need. So asking God for what he's already given you or waiting on God for what he's already given you, that, that's, that's totally counterproductive to your Christian life. It's, you know, it's like this. The average Christian starts from the position uh, that if they're sick in their body, then they need to get God to come and heal them. And that's the way their prayers are. Oh, Lord, would you please come and heal me? So, so instead of starting from the Bible, which says in 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes I was healed. Notice all that's past tense. By, hit, by what? I, by his stripes I was what? I was healed. If I was healed, then I am healed. And if I am healed, I am is healed. I know bad English when I hear it, okay? By his stripes, how does your healing come? 
By what? Y'all ain't talking to me. I have to take a drink now. Y'all making me drink. By his stripes I was what? So I ask you again, how does your healing come? What pays for it? Is it by your prayers that you get healed? Is it by your fasting that gets you healed? Is it by your sacrifice? It's, it's by his stripes. That's where the healing comes from. It's not anything that you can do because you can't pay for your healing. So it's by his stripes. By his stripes. He's already paid the bill. He's already stamped it paid in full. For what? For your healing. The stripes don't have anything to do with you being saved. It's saving you from sickness. It's by his stripes I was healed. By his stripes I was healed. All right, and so th th this, is, this is the point. So most Christians try to, well, I just look forward, Brother Dale, to the day that I get my healing. Well, you're looking in the wrong direction. Your healing is not out in your future. Your healing is in your past. Where, where did, when did your healing occur? See, I know this. See, right now your brain is beginning to, to fry because you're trying to use your brain to listen to me instead of your spirit to believe it. By his stripes, I was healed. Is it normal to be healthy or is it normal to be sick? Just in a general human, is it normal to be healthy or is it normal to be sick? It's normal to be healthy, isn't it? You're born healthy. You're to live healthy. You don't have to pray for an appetite. One comes with you. Right? I remember when I was a little, I don't remember this, but I, my, my mom's told me this, that when I was a, a little baby, they got concerned because I didn't eat that much. And they, back in those days, they didn't hardly even have pediatrician stuff, but they, they found one and they carried uh, me to him and, you know, they were worried that I wasn't eating enough. And he just rebuked them, she said. <laughs> he said, when, he's fine, healthy. When he gets hungry, he'll eat. Leave him alone. She said, they paid all that money to get that doctor to tell them that. You know, it is normal to be healthy. It is abnormal to be sick. It is normal to be at ease in your body. It is abnormal to have dis-ease in your body. So we start from a position of wellness and health and life and sickness is something that comes and intrudes on our normal. Right? So when I'm just using this as an example, it applies to anything. But when you are sick, then what a Christian does is you do not start. So what we do is we get the doctor's report, we, we take our aches and pains, and we go, I'm sick, I need God to do something for me. And so we start praying, oh God, we just ask you to come. Lord, would you please heal my sick? Oh, God, do something, Father. If you, you know, you're, and we start, that's what, that's the, we start from there. Instead of starting from, God, your word says that by your stripes I am healed. That I was healed. And if I was, I am. And so I declare and I rebuke this sickness in the name of Jesus. I, I stand in your word. I stand in my healing. And, and, and you, you begin to pray. And why do I got to say anything? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. So, so it's like this. So, so by his stripes, I was healed. All right? So we'll say, all right, so instead of starting from a point of victory, we fight for victory.
Demetia mentioned it this morning. We, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. You might have to fight. What are you fighting for? Not for your healing? No, you're just fighting for the faith to believe that God has already healed you. Boy, y'all, y'all looking at me sideways this morning. See, it, it's, like, it's like this. What, what, what this faith in the Word of God does, okay, so, so let's say sickness is over here, you know, and, and so here I am. I'm in Christ. I, I'm in health. And, and all of a sudden, boom, sickness is in, in my life. This is the position I start from. And I begin to use the word of God. So, so, so sickness has come upon me. I, I need an object here to come home on me. But if, if sickness has come upon me and it's over here in my zone, then I use the word of God to push that away from me. But I'm starting from victory. I'm starting for by his stripes I was healed. But most Christians leave this position, come over here, join up with the sickness, and beg God to come over here and heal them. Oh, God, would you come? Oh, God, would you come? And it's denying what God has done. We don't mean to do that, but we're denying. So we stay over here in unbelief, in doubt, in fear, and we, we have left our position of victory, and now we're fighting for something that we've already been given. Do you see it? It's a totally 180 way to live as a Christian. Every need that you would ever need. Do you, do you ever need healing? It's been provided for you. Where's it been provided? All right, it's like this. Somebody said, you know, I've had all these people come up, you know, I've had like more women do this than men for whatever reason. But they said, I just pray, brother, you know, would you pray with me, brother Dale, that God would save my husband. I believe it's his time. I believe that, you know, it's, it's his time to get saved. When, when does the Bible say it's the time for people to be saved? Today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Anybody ever read that in the Bible can say amen. So God doesn't have a special red circle on a particular day. That that's your day. No, that might be your day because you made it your day because on that day you decided to believe. But what I'm saying is, 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 is salvation not available to that person all the time? It's available to them. Why didn't they receive it? Because they didn't believe it. But salvation is available. The grace of God has appeared to how many men? To all men. It is, it's, it's not God's will that any should perish, that all should come unto repentance. But they don't all come to repentance. Why? Because they don't believe. How does a person get saved? We've gone through this over and over. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's circumstances and things and situations that sometimes brings people to a point where they actually believe and thank God for that. Whatever it takes, man, that's good enough, you know. But don't perceive that as something that God is doing, that, that God's waiting on. And, 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 and so, you know, I've had many people say this kind of thing to me over all my ministry. Well, Brother Dale, I want you to just... You know, I just don't feel the love of God. I just don't feel like God loves me anymore. I just don't feel the love of God uh, in my life. Would you please pray that God would release his love towards me, Pastor Dale? And I used to pray for that. I don't pray for that no more. So when I get that request now, I just want you to pray, you know, that, that God would release his love to me. I say, I can't pray that because that would be calling God a liar. What? Uh, you know... Most people think that's a great request. Most people think, 
you know, that that's, you know, that's precious. That's, you know, that's a good thing to pray for. It's a horrible thing to pray for because what it does, it assumes that it's God's fault that they don't feel the love of God. It puts the blame on God. In other words, it's God's fault that I don't feel the love, and so I need God to do something so I'll feel his love. The truth is God's already poured out his love in you and towards you. God's already done it, and he's not, he don't have any more love to pour out on you. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, the love of God, here we go again, past tense, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was, past tense, given to us. Do you see that? So when was the Holy Spirit given to you? Keyboard. When was the Holy Spirit? When was the Holy Spirit given to you? When you got born again. For when you were born again, you were made one spirit with the Lord. Any man that has not the Spirit of God is not his, Jesus said. So I ask you again, when did you get the Holy Spirit? When you got born again. And at the same time that you were, the Holy Spirit was given to you, the love of God was poured out where? Into your heart. Into your physical Thumping organ called the heart? No, in your spirit. The love of God has been already poured out into your spirit at the same time that the Holy Spirit was given to us. And that happened when you were born again. So God loves you whether you feel it or not. I said God loves you whether you feel it or not. His love has been poured out in your heart. In other words, in your spirit. You've got to understand where it's at. It resides in your spirit. And his love is not conditional upon your behavior or your actions or your perceived righteousness or holiness, none of that stuff. You've got to start from the place that God has already provided everything that I would ever need. And if I don't feel his love, it's not because God didn't give it. It's not because God's mad with me and has withdrawn his love from me. Listen, listen to this. When you know that you have something, it takes the struggle out of trying to get it. See how simple that is? When you know you already have it, it takes the struggle out of trying to get it. It takes you out of the condemnation that you would feel because for some reason you're, you're, you know, you're the exception. You don't have it. The other Christians have it. You don't have it. God likes them better. He didn't give it to me. He gave it to them. God's got favorites. I'm not his favorite. He loves this person. They're closer to him than I am. All of those are religious lies. And, and it removes that content. It takes you out of the legalistic mentality of trying to earn that thing from God. You're not trying to earn it anymore. It removes the doubt whether you have it or not because you know you have it. You may not feel it. You may not be experiencing that feeling of euphoria of, like, oh, the Lord loves me. You may not be feeling it, but you still have it. I said you still have it. And, and so how, how could you ever doubt that, that you'd get something that you already have? It's really, it's, it's just so simple. If I walked over to somebody, I need to stay up here because they're filming and it, it drives Pastor Adam crazy. So I'll, 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 I'll be good, brother. But if I walked over to you and I handed you this iPad, it's my iPad, I give it to you. I just hand it to you. Uh... Now, what would I do? Now, I handed you my iPad. I gave it to you. Now, what would I do if you asked me uh, for my iPad? 
In other words, if you, if I, I, I've given you my iPad. I'm standing there, and you look up at me, and you say, please, Pastor Dale, give me your iPad. I, how am I supposed to respond to that? How am I supposed to respond to that? God can't get confused, okay? But if he ever could, that right there would confuse him. God said, you're asking me for what I already get. Let me tell you what you do get as a Christian when you pray those kind of prayers. Total silence from heaven. Which if you don't believe the word of God, then you go into condemnation, legalistic, trying to earn it and all that. It's just a downward spiral because you're just, you're, you're, you're just, you're falling in the well of unbelief. In other words, when you pray and you ask God to give you what he's already given you, then what you're going to get is absolute silence because God cannot, nor will he answer a prayer that confirms your unbelief. Oh, God, give me peace. I just ask you for peace, God. Have you not read Galatians? God says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance, which is self-control, and faith which all abide in the spirit, all that's been given to you. God didn't come to give you peace. God came to be your peace, and you've been placed inside the prince of peace. How can you not have peace? Your peace is determined on what you're focusing on. If you focus over here on the world, your problems, then you have your, your peace seems to elude you. If you focus on the promises of God, God's word, then your peace is present because your peace is there. Your peace is not in there. Your peace is not in your problems. Your peace is not in those things. God don't have to feel peace like a pharmacist at a prescription counter. Oh, you need more peace? Let me write your prescription. Here you go. Take three of them a day, you know, and you'll feel better. That's not how peace works. Peace is a decision. I choose. This is a day the Lord has made. This ain't a day the devil's made. This is a day the Lord has made. I will. You exercise my will. I will rejoice. I don't feel like rejoicing, but I will rejoice. I will. Oh, yes, I will. That's been one of the hardest disciplines I've ever tried to practice in my Christian life is when I feel like dirt, feel like just crawling up in a fetal position and laying there, is to say out of my mouth, praise God. God, I still praise you. But boy, if you can ever break the ice on that first one, the rest of them will come on out a little easier. And, and, and so that's what God's saying. And you've heard me talk about this, and I, you know, and up to this point, I hadn't mentioned the things I normally mention, but I want to mention that to you because the Word of God, because some people, they just flat don't know it. So they pray, and they pray, and they petition, and they fast, and they can't understand why they don't hear anything when they pray, because you're asking for what you already got. How did I receive it? You, you, you received it in Christ. Now, now whether, you, whether you see it manifested yet, not, don't mean, is no determination whether you have it or not. Now, I've told you this before, but in this room right now, this is a fact, okay? In this room is television signals. Right here in this room. You can't see a one of them. There are UHF radio transmissions. The police are talking from one side of town. Their words are coming right through this, and they're going to a police cruiser on this side of town. And they, they just came right through our sanctuary while we are having church. And the only reason I didn't do it is I didn't have a walkie-talkie here turned onto that channel to receive it. 
But it's, I, I, can't, I can't smell it, I can't touch it, I can't taste it, but it's real. And, and it's in the invisible, invisible realm. Radio signals, there's rap music going right now. There's all kind of music. There's AM signals coming through here, FM signals, UHF transmissions, VHF transmissions. There, there's, there, there's microwave transmissions. There's, there's cell towers going through here, all kind of stuff. This room is packed with signals. But we don't see a one of them, can't taste them, can't hear them because you're not receiving them take something to receive them. What it takes to receive the things that God's transmitted already is faith. See, and, and see, right there is where the problem comes. Because in other words, we'll pray for somebody, we'll pray for something, and we don't see it manifested. And so what we say is, oh, man, it's on me. I need more faith. Or if I had had more faith, then this person would not have died. Or if I had more faith, then this would have happened this way. And so you put it off on you, then you go into the spiral again of unbelief, and you go right down that hole. Listen to what Paul said. I, I don't know where it's at, but it's in the Bible, okay? But Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith, King James, of the Son of God. The life that I now live, the life, for my life is not my own, he said, for the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. There's another verse that says that God has given to every man the measure of faith. So where did your faith come from? God gave it to you. You need to exercise your faith. You need to demonstrate your faith. But your faith is not trying to get God to move. Your faith is you responding to God. God's already done all he's going to do. That's why he's seated in heavenly places. He's not up working and running around. God's already done what he's going to do. You're praying for a move of God. God's done moved on. He's going to move. It's up to us to move now. Move in what? Move in faith in what God has accomplished. Move in faith what God has provided. Move in faith in what God has done at the cross with his death, burial, and resurrection. You, you see, I mean, and, and I know none of us probably were taught that way. We were taught to agonize, pray, you know, crawl, beg, plead, try to get God to do something. Oh, God, would you come? Oh, God, would you pour out your spirit? God's, you hear red acts? God has already poured out his spirit. Oh, God, we just pray that you would open the heavens tonight over our... That's a dumb prayer. That is a prayer filled with unbelief because God's already opened the heavens. I told you this before a hundred times. Heavens only closed 20 years because your mind ain't renewed. The heavens are not closed now, but if you believe they're closed, oh, God, the heavens are brass, the earth is still, I can't get a prayer through. Ah. That's how that, Your life will manifest your faith in that. I said your life will manifest, because even though it's not true, but you believe it, so you'll live it. How many knows you can believe a lie and live a lie? And, and you can enjoy the fruits of it, and then you can point and get up somewhere and teach it. That's where it is right there. I tell you, my life's a living example. I know it is. In an unbelief and doubt, in fear. Because you believe it. If you believe the lie, listen, you empower the liar. It is truth that sets people free. I mean, the church has done all kinds of, you know, oh, we need to pray against this principality. We need to go on a prayer march over this. I'm not saying prayer is not valuable. We should pray, but we've got to pray from a position of victory. In other words, we, our, our prayer is not trying to get God to do something. The Bible says in Colossians that Jesus is on the cross. He made a public spectacle and put to shame every principality, power, ruler, and darkness. And he, and, 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 and he, he, is, he is 
got the keys of the kingdom, uh, Lord of heaven and of earth. There's nothing left undone. He didn't say, well, I almost got it finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There's nothing left to do. He's not a liar. He finished it. And he wants us to, to carry out the victory that was won. So th th this is just coming to my head. These are the things you've heard me say. All right, so we don't pray for the anointing, right? Do you know everybody in this room, the anointing is not something a preacher needs to preach. The anointing is what a housewife needs to take care of her children. The anointing, the Bible says it's like oil smeared. It's like, it's like the oil in a, a car. You know, a car needs more than gas. It's got to have oil. Because without the oil to keep the motor from seizing up from friction, it's, it's, you, you ain't going far. So you got to, the anointing is, is what, what causes things to, to, to work. And, and so you need an anointing in business. You need an anointing in, in every area of your life. But, but see, it's not something you pray and ask God for. It's something you thank God that he's given you. You won't find any verse in the New Testament with nobody praying for the anointing. You'll only find the Apostle Paul in three different places saying, for the anointing which you have received. For the anointing which you have received. It always puts anointing in the past tense position. You already have it. Oh, God, at the decades that I spent crying out for the anointing. Now, notice how silent heaven was when I prayed that prayer. But it was. Why? Because you already had it. God had already given me the iPad, and I'm praying for his iPad. And I already had it. So you don't pray for the anointing. Well, what about when you don't feel very anointed? Well, you just say, Lord, I thank you for, like I do, like I did today, like I do every Sunday, like I do every, Lord, I thank you for the anointing which you've given me, which you've gifted me. And I pray today that I will yield myself to that anointing. You see what I'm saying? That I will yield myself to the anointing that's resident on the inside of me. See, I'm not wasting any time asking God for what he's already given me. So I just say, Lord, help me to yield myself to the anointed one that's on the inside of me. Guide me with your anointing. Lead me. Let me lead. That's what I'm praying. So I don't, I don't pray for the mind of Christ. A lot of Christians spend a lot of time praying for the mind. Oh, we just pray, you know, you know we, we pray for the mind of Christ. You, you already have it. So what's the prayer? Lord, thank you that you have gifted us with the mind of Christ. The Apostle Paul said, we have it. He didn't say if we got it, we would get it if we prayed hard enough. We have the mind of Christ. When did you get it? When you got born again. Where, where's it at? It's in Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Do not be double-minded. That means you still have a mind. And until that mind gets renewed and lined up with the will of God and the mind of Christ, you're going to have problems if you don't yield yourself to the mind of Christ. But what you do is you go, Lord, I thank you for the mind of Christ that's on the inside of me. Help me to, to lean not on my own understanding, but to lean upon the mind of Christ. See, you see how totally different it is. Lord, we just ask you to go with us from this place, to be with us always. Lord, we need you. We need your presence. That's calling God a liar. It's a very common prayer. Prayed every Sunday in just about every church but this one. We don't ask God to go with us. God's, God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My spirit will not depart from you. I will never leave you. So when you pray, oh, God, go with us, you're saying that God's a liar. He didn't mean what he said. He's not going with us. He's only with us at church. We visited him. He visited us, and now we're going home, and we just would like for him to go home with us maybe. Lord, we just ask you to go with us from this place, to be with us this week as we go to our jobs. We ask you to help are you kidding me? Don't pray that mess in front of my grandbabies. I don't want them to learn your dysfunction. Don't pray that in front of them. 
I don't want to, I, you understand? Look, what's the prayer? Lord, we thank you as we go from this place, you go with us. That you said you would go with us all the way even to the end of the world. We thank you, Lord God, that you promised us in your word you would never leave us nor forsake us. So we leave this place confident that wherever we go, you will be with us and for us and in us. See, that's a whole, see, that prayer made you clap. Did you see that? That prayer had power. That prayer had, by God. Get a brother Dale. I mean, see, but you failed it. That's why you clapped. You didn't clap because I got the words arranged properly. You clapped because that prayer has power in it. It activated something. What did it do? It jacked up your spirit on the end. Oh, where let me fight the devil? Where is he at? That's what that's what you experienced right there. We would experience that same power in every area. If we just focused on the right thing and, and start thanking God. That's why the Bible, Paul always talked about prayers with thanksgiving. Prayers with thanksgiving. What you think? You're thanking him for this long list of things that you already have. I, Father, I don't feel your love. I feel everything right now but the opposite of your love. I don't see your love manifesting, in, which is a really a lie. Because you do. You're breathing, ain't you? That's his love. You can still see. I mean, you know, whatever. But you can, I understand not feeling it. I understand the feeling part. I understand that. And man, I tell you what, them feelings can be so powerful, they can seem far more real than what we, and what we see can seem more real than what we don't see. And it, and, and, and it takes a renewed mind. A Christian with an unrenewed mind is like a person trying to drive their car with their windshield totally covered in trash and bugs and it's just not clean and you can barely see and, and it's not the windshield's fault you, you just ain't cleaned the windshield what does it do when you go to the word of God it, it cleans our mind it, it, it washes a, see you, you can't help your mind is like a vacuum cleaner now pardon me for this example but a vacuum cleaner does not discriminate on what it picks up it'll pick up dust, dirt a gym clip, or dog poop, right? It doesn't discriminate. It, it just, whatever's there, and you roll it over, it just pulls it right in. Now, your natural mind kind of works like that. So it just pulls in everything it sees. You run down the road, there's a billboard of a, you know, totally almost naked person, goes right in. Goes right in. And it's not your fault. You can't. I mean, it's a billboard. You ride down the road, billboard. You know, you used to have all these signs up down the street, butt naked. And and I remember when I was a paramedic, we had this, these doctors came down from from up north, and and they came down to Albany, and I was actually the moderator of the of the meeting and introducing the doctors and different speakers that are. We used to have these big conferences the last two or three days for the emergency medical service, and I remember one guy came down from like Boston or whatever. And he, and he flew into Atlanta, and he rented a car, and he drove down to Albany. And he got up to speak, and he said, I want to say something to you guys in the South here. He said, I hadn't ever been down here before. And he said, uh, you guys, y'all make it real clear. He said, we don't have billboards like that in Boston. But he says, I passed signs all along your interstate that said, you know, come to this place butt naked. Uh, we bear all. He said, I mean, y'all want to make it absolutely clear what we're talking about down 
you know, he said, most, you know, where I come from, they'll just put, you know, club or gentleman's club or something. We know. He said, but you guys, you want to be clear to communicate. We're talking butt naked here. We're talking. You know? <laughs> and I'll never forget that, you know. And, uh, of course, saying it with a northern accent you know, is even funnier. But, but that's your, your mind is just pulling in all this garbage. Now, you get to choose a lot of what you put in your mind, right? You, you get to make decisions and choices. And sometimes if your mind's warring against you, because your natural mind will war against the, the mind of Christ, and you get to choose. That's why the Bible says, you know, the double-minded man, double-minded, double means two. Don't let the double-minded man, James says, think he shall receive anything from the Lord. For he's like the oceans of the sea. He's tossed to and fro. He's unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from God. The reason you don't receive it is not because God's not giving it. It's because you can't, you can't decide what you're going to believe. Do you understand? God's not withholding anything from you. God, God loves you. He's poured that love out in you. And so all God's wanting you to do it's, it's just, uh, and that's why the word of God is so important. However it comes to you, and, 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 and more than what you just get here on Sunday. I try to feed you the best I can, but just the, the word of God. You just have to, you, I mean, you're you, you just like me. you got the war just like I do. What's the war with God? No, the war's with our minds. The battle's in our minds. It's just warring against us. The, the spirit and the flesh, they don't agree. They won't agree. And, and, you know, and it's all that kind of stuff. But you don't have no two natures in you. You're not a born-again Christian with, a, with, a, with an abiding sin nature. I know you were taught that, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you're born again, you are, you are now being made partakers of his divine nature. You, you it's not normal for you to sin. That's why it breaks your heart when you do it. It, it doesn't feel good. Because it's not your nature anymore. That's not who you are. You've got to live true to who God's made you, and that comes out of your spirit. And, and really, the whole success in Christian living is just learning to live out of your spirit. And, and, and I guess it's hard to explain this, but, but, but knowing where when the battle comes, where you, where you start from. Disciples got in the boat one time, and they said, you know, Lord, you know, uh, you know, he was just warning them about the teachings of Herod and the Pharisees. And, they say, oh, he's talking about bread. You know, he's talking about the bread, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they said, he's saying that because we only got one loaf. Jesus looked at those guys. He said, why, why do you always start out from what you don't have? And that's human nature. When God says something, we immediately say, well, I, I, you know, you, you take inventory of what you don't have. When, when Peter came to Jesus... And he said, Lord, <clears throat> my taxes are due, and I don't have money to pay them. Now, this is a real guy. It's really happened. Jesus didn't reach in his pocket and go, here's the money. God bless you. Now, what, did Peter, what was Peter doing when Jesus met him? Vocation-wise, not hard. What was he doing? What was his vocation? Fisherman. Okay. So how many knows the Bible? When, so Peter comes to Jesus and he says, my taxes are due, I ain't got no money to pay it. What did Jesus tell him to do? Huh? He said, go fish, didn't he? He said, go fish. He said, so go, go to a place, cast in a line. Everybody say a line. Now, Jesus, Peter's a net fisherman. He ain't out there with a cane pole on the Sea of Galilee trying to catch a brim. You with me? He throws nets, drags nets. That's, that's, that's how he learned. The Lord tells him to do something a little bit different, a little bit different. 
but he's still in the fishing vocation, which he knows. He says, go, cast in thy line, and the first fish, fish you catch, look in his mouth, and there you shall find a gold coin. Go and pay your taxes, and then Jesus said this, and pay mine while you're up there. Because Jesus had a tax bill too, just like everybody else, just like you got. Huh? Now, why did God do it that way? See, in other words, Peter come to God and he prayed for a need he had in his life, which was a natural need. It's a natural need to get this tax bill paid. So Peter prays to Jesus. Jesus gives him the means by which that he can get that money in his checking account. But it still took Peter to have faith. Now, Peter wasn't trying to get God to respond, and Jesus wasn't trying to answer his... In other words, what it was, Peter's faith was exhibited when Peter turned away from Jesus, went and got a fishing line, a line, and, 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 and cast it into the water. Now, how long did he sit there before he caught one? We don't know. Did he sit there an hour? Did he fish all that day and catch nothing and have to go back the next day and cast the line in again? We do not know. And that's where most people get in the fog. We want to throw the net in, the line in, and then it goes down and we caught him. It doesn't always work that way. Faith don't work that way. He cast in the line. All we know is he caught a fish. He reached into his mouth and the gold was in the fish's what? Here's some prophetic revelation for you. He said, disciples, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. And he equated men to fish. God has always done that. He's equated fish with men. There's always a message in the miracle. So where is the gold at? It's in the mouth of fish. Who's the fish? You. It's in your mouth. Your provision is in your mouth. Romans 10 says, where is thy faith? Thy faith is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth. The word of faith that we confess. The word of faith is near thee, it's in thy mouth. If thou shalt believe in thy heart and confess with thy mouth, thou shalt be saved. Confess what? Confess what God said. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Confess what God said. Confess what God said over your finances. Confess what God said over your body. Confess what God said over your children. Confess what God, God said that thou shalt be saved and thy household. Confess what God said. Confess means agree with God. God, I agree with you. I agree that I'm anointed. I agree that I'm saved. I agree that your love has been poured out in my heart. I believe I have everything that I'll ever need. I believe that. And when you start agreeing, which is what confession means, I've taught you that. Confession means to agree with God. It don't mean the average Christian, confess sin. No, it means to agree with God. And when it does come to confessing sin, it's agreeing with God about sin. I'm forgiven. I didn't even ask for it. God didn't need your permission. I'm already forgiven. By confessing my agreement that I am forgiven, now I enjoy the benefits of that forgiveness. Do you see the big time difference here? And it's a different way. It's a 180 different way of living. 
and I, and, and, and I know some of you are hearing this for the first time, but you do not, every battle that you ever face, you face it from the point of the victory that Jesus accomplished. You are seated with Christ. You're not running around. Now, you can run around, but Jesus ain't running around with you. The reason he is seated is not because he's tired, because he's finished. We are seated with Christ. One thing the old covenant priests never did was sit down. There was no chair in the Old Testament mosaic tabernacle, no chair to sit. But why? Because they were never finished. Their sin was a reminder constantly. They were constantly offering sacrifice. But that one lamb, once and for all, was offered, and Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. There is nothing else left to do. He's done it all. It is finished. And, and he's placed every blessing, every dis, everything, and, and he's factored in your rebellion. And even if you screwed up, God, God's got a fish not to eat you but to transport you. I mean, God's used some weird ways to transport you back to where you're supposed to be. But he loves you that much. He said, I know he's going to screw up. I know on the date he's going to screw up because I don't watch the video. And I'm going to have a fish right there not to eat him but just to swallow him. And he's going to transport him because he's gone hundreds of miles away from Nineveh. It's going to take us three days to get him there, but we're going to pull him right up to the bank. And that great fish is going to vomit him right on the shore. He's going to get out and it's going to be a big sign on the beach that said, Welcome to Nineveh. <laughs> and he's going to look up and go, God, you're still God. You still got me here, didn't you, Papa? He's like, take a shower, go preach like I told you. Go do what I told you to do. And, 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 and that's, that's what God's doing. Listen, you're never happier than when you're doing what God's told you. I promise you that. Would you stand to your feet? Don't you love God? Man, anybody get anything out of this this morning? And see, this is not a sermon to go amen and then go eat chicken and forget it. This is a message to train your mind to line up with the mind of Christ. And when, you, when, when sickness comes, you fight for what's been normal for you. And, you, and you, so you stand here, and you know you feel like death warmed over, as they say. But you don't run over there and hook up with the sickness. Did that example help anybody? You don't run over there and get in agreement with it and give more validation to it in the doctor's diagnosis. I understand all that's real scientific. I understand all that. But you stand here and remain here in your, in your heart and mind. And, and, and so that, that over there, that sickness has come over here now and it's trying to rob you. And so you take the word of God and every time you say the word of God, you, you're pushing that thing back away from the victory that's normal for you. Well, how long do I got to confess it? Until. Just Until. This ain't heaven yet. Nobody's in heaven dealing with sickness and cancer and diseases and COVID. And, mm, nobody's having a problem there. And God said, I want it on earth just like it is in heaven. And the Bible says in 1 John, as he is, Jesus, as he is, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is now, present, right now, as he is, where is he? Seated, resting, confident. As he is, so are we in this world. That's how we are in this world. Well, I don't, I, I don't, see, you got to knock all that stuff off now. I understand it's hard because this human brunt, it just wants to pull you right in the hole. I'm riding in the earth suit just like the rest of you. If I told you my story the past seven days, you'd all be crying. You couldn't even go eat chicken. And I'm being for real.
But you got to stand. You got to stand. This ain't some theory I'm talking about. This is proven. This is God's word. And you stand in faith. You declare in faith. Man, so many times what you're declaring and, and praying and, you know, I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't need anybody to feel sorry for me, whatever. But when I go through war, but the only thing that kind of brings me any kind of peace is me just walking, walking and praying. I, that's like to walk and pray. I walked so much this week I had to quit walking because I walked, you know, I walked blister on the bottom of my, one of my feet. Oh, you know, and, and I literally did. I told my wife, you know, and, and that's what she said. She said, well, you, you know, you, you're walking, you ain't been walking like that. She gave me the natural explanation of why I had a blister. <laughs> that one day I'd walked over four miles. And I didn't do nothing over that four miles but focus on one thing to pray about. And had to just try to stand in victory. And, and remember that I stood here and I wasn't over there. I stood here. I said, Lord, I'm, if I'm not fighting for victory, you already accomplished it. You accomplished it for me, you accomplished it for my family. You know, I didn't have to tell God how big the mountain was. He already knew. But I had to tell that mountain, God's still God. I don't care what it looks like, smells like, tastes like, feels like. And I ain't got a clue. And it's so, and, and, I, and I felt like my, my situation was so, so complicated, so convoluted, that you could be Einstein and couldn't figure it out in the natural how to fix it. I'm serious. Just cannot, just ain't got a clue. Got to take it one day at a time. Got to, got to stand in faith and take it one day at a time. And say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand here and believe you. I'm going to stand right here from this place of, of your resurrection power. See, some people, they pray for the power. Oh, God, give me your power. I just pray for the power. What's Acts 1 and 8? And you shall receive power. When? After the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When did the Holy Spirit come upon you? When you got born again. And you shall receive power. So you have the power. What kind of power do you have? The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwelleth within thee. So it is an erroneous prayer for me to ever pray for power. I have power. I don't feel it. I don't seem very powerful. And I flat don't feel powerful. But to deny that the, the, the word of God's a lie and I don't have the power. The, the power of God's in me. The power to overcome this situation. The power to overcome Whatever you're trying to overcome, the power's already in you. You don't have to pray for it. I remember I was sitting on my stage at the church I pastored, and I don't mean this no disrespect if you're struggling with something, okay? But I'm just telling you a story, just, just a little example. But uh, this guy, we was just sitting on the stage on the platform, and it was just a guy that I knew really well in my church. And he just said, Pastor, I just want to talk to you about something, man. He's, you know, because it wasn't a planned counseling session, and he just stopped by, and I was there. And he said, man, he, he said, I am struggling, man, with, with these cigarettes. And the doctor's telling me they're killing me. And, but I just, he said, I, I just can't give them up, man. You just don't know how powerful they are. That's what he said to me. You, you just don't know how powerful they are. He said, they're, they're so powerful in my life. I said, can I hold the pack? You got some on you? He said, yeah. I said, can I hold the pack? He thought I was going to smoke one, I think. I said, can I hold the pack of cigarettes? And so he reached in his pocket and pulled out, you know, a pack of Marlboro. And, uh. And I walked over, you know, we were sitting like that, and I walked over. We had a, a baby grand piano on our stage in those days, and I, I just set that uh, pack of cigarettes up there, and I came back, sat back by him. And I said, let's see who's got the power here. 
Let's see if that cigarette comes out that wrapper, out that box, teleports across the room, jumps in your, between your lips, and lights up itself and shoves that smoke down in your lungs. Let's just wait on that and see who's got the power here. And, and so we just sat there, and he was looking at me like he wanted to hit me, really. <laughs> he wasn't feeling very generous to his pastor. And, but I was trying to drive a point home to him. And we just sat there, and for like, I, I probably didn't let it go longer than 30 seconds, because he didn't say nothing, I just, and we just sat there in silence. And I just kept looking at the pack of cigarettes like they were going to do something. Look at him and look at the cigarettes. I said, now, brother, who's got the power here for real? You do. I said, the only way that cigarette can get in your mouth is you go get it. I said, I understand the addiction. I understand the, your human body's desire now. You've created a, a, you know, a desire for this chemical called nicotine. I understand all the medical aspects of it, and I'm not mocking it or taking it lightly. But I'm just simply saying that the power within you it's, it, it's not that box don't have power over you. You have power over it. And with God, you can defeat it. Can I say to you on that wise that that guy defeated that because it was already defeated at the cross. He, he defeated that. But, but it took strong words to break a stronghold in his life. Sometimes, bless your heart club, don't get it done, y'all. Sometimes you got to go listen here now. I love you, and I'm going to speak this truth to you in love, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, and I'm not trying to marginalize what you're going through because I care. And Because, you know, he turned on me there at one point. He said, you ain't never smoked. You don't know. I said, I have smoked, but I have never, you know, where I had to have it. And I understand that. You know, we smoke as teenagers, you know, hide out and all that stuff, but I just never developed a real desire for it, you know. Back in the crazy days when I would drink, I'd smoke it. It seemed like that went together pretty good, but other than that, I didn't fool with it. And, uh, but he was kind of, you know, like, well, you don't understand where I'm coming from. I said, I don't have to understand where you come from. Jesus knows where you come from. But I said, you're the one just told me you wanted to be free of that. Whom the sun sets free. Free indeed. And, and another translation said, really, really free. I like that translation. Really, really free. You're really, really free. Free of what? Free of everything. This, this got trying to bring you down, bring you in bondage. You're free of it. Depression, you're free of it. Depression just means that, and, and man, and I have battled that. Battled it this week, to be honest with you. It's been tough. But it's when, when I feel the most depressed, it's when I'm just zeroing in on my problem. And I'm looking at it. And that problem's just like growing. That's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Don't magnify your problem. How can you make God bigger? You can't. There's not a magnifying glass in the world that'll make God bigger than he is. But magnify the Lord with me means I'm going to make God bigger to me. When you're looking through a magnifying glass at an ant, it don't make the ant larger. It just makes him appear larger to you. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The importance of praise in those moments and just saying praise God anyhow. I'm just going to bless you anyway, Lord. I don't know how this thing going to turn out, but I know somehow you're going to turn it out. I had a precious little lady in this church called me, and, and we talked, uh, and, we, and I talked with her Monday morning. Uh, Sister Grace Hughes, 92 years old. I love you, Sister Grace. You watching? And uh, 
she said, Pastor Dale, uh, two days ago, the Lord spoke to me and said there was a member of your family was in trouble. And she said, I sat on it for two days just wrestling with it, but I, I had to call you. And I said, Sister Grace, you are right on time, darling. I couldn't even hardly talk to her without crying. Just knowing that God's moving on people to pray and to intercede and to see the, the, the will of God accomplished was such an encouragement to me. Even that day, that call just gave me encouragement to keep on. And, and, and I told my, my, my family member that. I said, let me tell you, somebody called, you know, and this is what they said. You got to know God's working. Hang in there. It's going to be all right. Don't know how it's going to work, but it's going to be okay. Because this is God doing this. Amen? And God loves you. He's provided everything you'll ever need, and it's all in Christ Jesus. And you don't walk around like you got to get God to do it. He's already done it. It's in you. It's in Christ. You're in Christ. Just yield yourself to that. This helped you any? Would you smile? Because some of you are looking like I scared you today. <laughs> Amen. Well, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Turn around, wave at your uh, Grace Point family. Amen.